Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Good. That was some amazing singing. Thank you for lifting your voices to the Lord. We want to welcome so many first-time guests. I saw a lot of you come in. Um, for those of you that didn't get a chance to meet, I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to have you come visit Arden first. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ, and we're excited what God is doing. How many of you have ever been awakened out of a sleep rudely, like someone just comes and pounces on you? Anybody? Uh, we, we got a little video I want you guys to watch of these poor people. So today we're going to talk about the church that needed to be awakened, Church of Sardis. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation 3. While you turn there, I want to ask all the Israeli travelers to stand. We want to acknowledge here our Israeli traveler. Come on, stand up. Let's give them a hand. If you want to hear about the stories, pull them aside after the church, um, after the service. They'd love to share some of their memories, and uh, we'd love for the rest of you to be able to go with us on a future trip. We had a really amazing time in the Holy Land, and we're coming back really fired up for the Lord. So we're going to be in Revelation 3. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't have the scripture, it'll be on the screen. These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now just pause there. You know, how many of you have ever been in a dead church before? Right, right. Many of us have. It's bad being in a dead church. It's even worse if Jesus says you're dead. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. So it gives us some hope. He says, be watchful 
and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And then he gives this promise. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, this message is a wake-up call for any church that is either dying or declining. It's a wake-up call. So, Lord, help us to listen to what your word has to say to the church at Sardis and to all the Sardis-like churches in our community, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. And, Lord, we pray for churches that are dying and declining, that they would wake up, that they would repent, and that they would return to you any way they've strayed from you. So, Lord, bless your word and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to give you seven life-giving actions for a church that appears to be dead. A church that appears to be dead. The first one is this. Stop pretending to be alive when you are as dead as a doornail. This is the need for revival. Go back to verse 1. It says, And to the angel in the church of Sardis write, These things has he who has the seven spirits of God. I know your works that you have your, a name that you're alive, but you are what? You're dead. There's a story told of a church in a downtown that called on fire. I'm not talking about spiritual fire, but it literally called on flames. So the fire department came and they tried to put the fire out. The pastor was standing there and on, 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 onlookers were looking on. And there was a man that came next to the pastor and he looked at this man. And this is a man that he had invited to church Week after week, month after month, year after year. And he looked at him in tears and the pastor said, why are you showing up to church now? I've invited you all these years. You've never come to church. And the guy without even blinking said, well, pastor, of all the years you've been at the church, this is the first time the church has ever been on fire. So that, that's kind of that's kind of sad, right? And some of us have experienced that. And I'm going to I'm going to have a little more passion in the sermon because I speak by experience, the church that I grew up in, it no longer exists because it became a dead church. So this this text is for Sardis is everywhere. And the church I grew up in was very special. My mom had spent 50 plus years there. I had spent my entire 18 years growing up. And today it no longer exists because it was a Sardis. It was a dead church. So if we look at Sardis, and there will be some pictures on the screen it was a natural acropolis that rose 1,500 feet above the valley floor. And today there is a modern city called Sart, which is the remains. They, they rebuilt this city. It's not nearly as big as the original city. It was known for its factories, its dye. It was known as a place of commerce, which made it very wealthy. And there's a famous guy from there named Aesop. You guys ever heard of Aesop's fables? Came from Sardis. So notice in verse 1, if you look back at your Bible and the passage, 
Jesus starts off to the angel in the church at Sardis, right? These things has he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, we talked about in Revelation 1-4, there's different interpretations what the seven spirits are. In some Bibles, it's not capitalized, it's just seven spirits. So one possibility is seven is the number of completion. So this would be the idea that it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. These things says the one who in his presence, there's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's one possibility. We've also said, if you look at Revelation 8 two. It talks about the seven spirits or the seven angels that stand before God's throne. I lean more towards view two that the seven spirits, it could be the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but I believe it's referring to the seven angels that God sends out that we see later in Revelation chapter eight. Because the Bible says the angels are ministers, they're spirits who minister to those who inherit salvation. And notice he says the seven stars. This takes us back to chapter one. Where Jesus says, I have the seven stars in my hand. And we found out the seven stars represents the seven messengers. Which means each of these seven churches had a lead pastor that was leading that church. And it's good to know that God still calls God-ordained men to lead churches. And sometimes people say, well, why do churches have pastors? Why do pastors lead? Well, it goes back to the New Testament church. That the New Testament church had a plurality of elders, more than one. But among those elders, there was usually one that was the chief among equals. You had people like Peter that stood out. People like Paul, uh, Timothy and Ephesus. You, you had a plurality of leaders, but you had one that was to lead that church. And as a pastor, it's encouraging that I know that I'm in God's hands. And I want to encourage you, as Paul encouraged the church, as he wrote in the book of Acts through Dr. Luke, his words are recorded. He commended the Bereans because they tested everything he said. So even though pastors are in the hands of God, they're not infallible. You are to test. So this is my permission. You're to test everything I say by the word of God. You are to test it. Don't take it face value. Go and research it for yourself. Amen. Because I'm imperfect just like any other pastor. But it's good to know that God has me in his hands. So he says, I have the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive and you are dead. So why did Jesus say the church at Sardis was dead? Well, it goes back to history. How many history buffs do we have? Raise your hand. You're going to love these historical stories. It goes back to the year 549 B.C. In 549 B.C., there's a a conqueror by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus led a Persian army. And according to the story that we received about this history, what happened is Cyrus wanted to take over Sardis. The problem is, let's throw the picture of the the big plateau here, the big mountain. It's kind of elevated, right? So how are you going to conquer this city? And what happened, Sardis believed they were unconquerable. No one could conquer them. So they only had one person at watchtower, one person. And according to the story, this person fell asleep and his helmet fell off and started rolling down the hill there. And Cyrus's troops saw this and they, they saw the guy wake up and he went down the secret pathway to get his helmet. And what they did is they traced that pathway back up to conquer the city. And you think they would learn the first time, but this happened again a few hundred years later. The same thing happened. The guy fell asleep on duty and the city got conquered. The city was conquered at least five times that I can find in history. And in, I think it was the year 14 AD, an earthquake struck this city. 
So this impenetrable city that thought that no one could conquer them, they had forgotten through the years they had been conquered. So what Jesus is doing is entering into their historical context and saying, listen, you thought that you were impenetrable. You thought that no one could conquer you. Have you forgot your history? You need to wake up because you're asleep. This is the sleeping church. And he's like, wake up because I know your works and they're not perfect. In other words, God doesn't look by pretense. God doesn't look on the outside of a church building and say, oh, what a beautiful white building. He looks on the inside of the people. There are many churches that have a reputation of being alive and thriving. But if you visit them, they're dead as a doornail. So this is the need for revival. This is the need for a wake up call. Speaking of revival, how many of you have heard on the news the revivals that are breaking out across the country? And where is it happening at? Where are we hearing the revivals taking place? College campuses. So I'm going to play a little video. This comes from Asbury. Pastor Kevin mentioned this last week, so I wanted to bring this to you. Asbury Revival. That's outside of it, people standing in crowds. So you know God is moving, and I love college kids, right? I was not too long ago, a couple decades ago. But the thing is, for a college kid to be sitting through not just one, but like till two in the morning, that's got to be God, right? And it's breaking out not only Asbury, I've heard reports of Texas A&M, Lee University, different schools, the spirit is breaking out. And don't be surprised because this was prophesied in the book of Acts. What did Peter say? In the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. The Holy Spirit will be poured out, not only on the day of Pentecost, but in these last days. So here's the thing. Revival is breaking out. And it can happen here. You know how it can happen here? If it starts in you. It's got to start in you individually. And I want to encourage you to write this down. This is on your listening guide. We're having revival here. And the dates, if you'll write it down, if you don't have a listening guide, it's September 13th through 15th. We're calling it the 828 Revival. And the reason why we're saying 828, we're targeting all of Western North Carolina. You're like, how are you going to do that? Well, what we're going to do is we're not just going to just bring in only Baptist churches. We're going to invite the entire city. We're going to invite people from different churches. And you're like, well, how are you going to do that? We're going to focus on the main thing. We're going to focus on Jesus Christ. We're going to focus on the need for renewal, repentance. We all have different beliefs on side issues, but let's focus on the fundamentals of the faith. Amen. Let's have a Christian revival. Let, let's do it. So some of the speakers that I'm really excited about, many of you know, Pastor Jimmy Dykes, Brookstone Church, he's coming. Uh, Pastor Kirk Bowman with The Rock, he's coming. Matthew Coleman with Rebel Church, he does the Asheville Dream Center, he's coming. Nick Connor Camp is coming, God willing. And others, others. So I'm excited because what we're going to do, uh, Pastor Joe's going to form a citywide choir. And the goal is it's 2023. So we'd love for 23 different churches to have some part. You're like, how are you going to have 23 churches have some part? Well, you could have citywide choir and people could come from every church. Wouldn't that be amazing to have this whole place filled with a choir? 
So that's, that's one of Joe's backgrounds. For those of you who don't know, he loves choirs. So how many of you would love to see a citywide choir? All right. How many of you want to sing in it? Joe, look around. We've got some singers back here. So it's a need for revival. It's a need for a wake up. The second truth for a Sardis to come back alive is come back alive again by living for that which really matters, eternity. This is the need for personal awareness. Look back in your Bible at verse 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, which are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. How many of you ever heard of Pastor Chuck Swindoll? He's in his 80s now, phenomenal guy, still preaching as far as I know. He's very good at taking what's going on in the, the world, the church, and summarizing it into easy to understand um, language. So he, in researching the church, he points out five marks of a dead church. And I want you guys to write these down. Chuck Swindoll said, here's five signs that a church is dying or is already dead. Number one, a dead church worships its past. It worships its past. Have you ever been to a place where they talk about what happened 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years? Now, we are to rejoice in the past, but it's different when you live in the past. And one of the most famous sayings of a church that worships the past is the good old days. There's nothing wrong with the good old days, but how many of you know they may not have been that good? You just have a short-term memory, right? So here's the thing, don't, don't live in the past. Celebrate the past, learn from the past, but don't live in the past. The second thing Swindoll says, a dead church is inflexible and resistant to change. And there's a thing about it, there's certain things that were to be inflexible about, and certain things were to be flexible. The things that were to be inflexible about are doctrine and theology. Did you know that truth doesn't change? It doesn't matter what the woke culture says. The Bible does not change. Amen. Marriage is still between a husband and a wife. Christian marriage. It is. Jesus is still divine. The Bible is still inspired. We believe in the death, burial, bodily resurrection of Christ. We believe these coming back. We believe all 66 books of the Bible. Amen. Those are the things that don't change. Now, what does change is programs. How many of you remember when you used to go to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, <laughs> it was like every night, and that, that nothing wrong with that, but we try that and guess who shows up? Just me and Joe and a few others, right? So things change, programs change, truth does not. Another thing that's a hot topic, it shouldn't be, but is music style. How many of you ever heard of the worship war debates? Can I tell you a little secret? This is a secret about most of you. Now, some of you may be the exception. But did you know that when your musical preference was formed, do anybody want to guess when it was formed? During your formative years, in your teens and early 20s. And it's interesting, I grew up in the 80s and there's, I love 80s music and I think it's better than others. Is it really better than others? No. It's because I grew up in the 80s, right? And for those of you who were involved in church, your church preference as far as music is when you first got saved or you experienced God speak to you for the first time. And then you get like frozen in that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's a preference. And what happens with churches that are dying is like they want to live in a former age and they don't want anything to change. And what happens as they don't change, guess what? People decide to leave or they get promoted to heaven and the church begins to decline. And the reason for it is they say we've never done it that way. And it's like, well, 
40 years ago, the way you did it was fresh and new. But now it's 40 years later. God is the God who does new things. So don't get caught up on preferences. Your preference is good, but it should never trump purpose. The purpose of worship is John 4.24. What does John 4.24 say? God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's what you ask with worship. Is this focused on the person of Jesus Christ, motivated by the Holy Spirit, and is it, does it line up with the Bible? There are some old thing, old songs that don't line up with the Bible. There's new songs that don't line up with the Bible. We have to be theologically correct, but style is simply secondary. The third thing Swindoll says, a dead church has hazy leadership. How many of you have ever been in a church that has no vision? And as soon as you try to encourage them to do something, the leaders do not do it because they know anytime you have change, people don't like change and people resist change. So they don't want anyone to be disgruntled. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the thing about that is when leaders don't have a backbone, they're afraid of change because they don't want pushback. And Swindoll makes the point that if you're part of a growing church, godly change is good. Forward progress is good. But anytime you resist change... All of a sudden you're signing up to die because living things grow and change. And I want to celebrate a victory in our community. There's a community that needs a shout out, a church in our community. They are 122 years old. And 20, 30 years ago, they were thriving. One of the biggest churches in Asheville, reaching people, God moving. And in recent years, they've had some challenges. But they were willing to do something pretty amazing. I'm talking about Bent Creek Baptist Church. Some of you are familiar with Bent Creek. Uh, Pastor Robbins um, from Missio Day decided that they adopted Bent Creek. And together they formed a new church called Steadfast Church. And I'm, I'm getting reports that this church is moving and going and growing. But what it took is some leaders that were willing to make a change after 122 years. I mean, it's hard to changing your name after 122 years, but guess what? The church is alive again. So let's give God a hand for that. That's exciting. Very exciting. So pay, pray for Pastor Robbins and the church as they continue to grow. The fourth sign of a dead church is a dead church neglects youth. Whenever you go to a church, there's nobody in the, the toddler room. There's no children. There's no students. And you're like, why would a church neglect youth? I've heard this not from anyone here today, but I've heard people say, you've got to focus on the people who pay the bills. Anybody ever heard that? That's a business model. That's not a ministry model. A, a thriving church focuses on all generations. You don't leave any generation out. But a dying church does not focus on the youth. And number five, a dead church lacks evangelistic zeal. How would a, how would a church lack evangelistic zeal? Well, people stop getting baptized. Um, you don't see people getting saved. New people don't really come because there's nothing happening at the church. And what happens is a church moves from a mission of God, whose mission is the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, and all of a sudden they become a morgue. And all of a sudden the pastor, instead of being a pastor, he becomes a chaplain. And you know what his goal is? Is to marry and to bury. But in a dying church there's no marry, it's just bury. Okay? And it's, I'm, I'm serious. So there's a lot of pastors, their job becomes a glorified chaplain. And my, I'm here to counsel you, I'm here to bury you, and that's... Who wants to be a part of a church like that, right? But what happens with a church that has the Great Commission as their mission is everybody is trying to win people to Christ. Everyone's sharing the gospel. 
And our mission here, for those of you who are first-time guests, every year, it's the same thing every year. It's each one reach one. Every year, your goal is to win one person to Christ, not just evangelize them, but disciple them. Get them in a small group community. Mentor them. And if every year we win one person to Christ, imagine what that's going to do in our community. Imagine that's what's going to do in our city and in Western North Carolina. It's going to make a difference. So those are five signs. So churches really need to wake up. And I think as a Christian, it's good to send a memo to your face that you have been embraced by grace. So go ahead and send a memo to your face. Smile. You're better. You're doing better than you think you are if you're a Christian. Okay. No matter what's happening to you. Even if you have a miserable hundred years here on earth, which you shouldn't, but some, some of us have worse than others. I'm not minimizing that. God has eternity for you. Jesus saved you for a reason. The tomb is empty. Amen. And what we have to do, we have to move from being keepers of the aquarium to becoming fishers of men. That's what a, a thriving church is like. All right. Number three, I got to speed up because I've learned in preaching the mind can only receive what the seat can endure. Amen. All right, number three, go back to the beginning of your faith so that you can rebuild your faith. This is the need for repentance and renewal. So notice what Christ says. What is the wake-up call for a dead church? He says, remember, therefore, what you have received. Hold fast and repent. The idea of remember is you've got to go back to the basics. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Do you remember how passionate you were for Jesus? But some of you have been a Christian 40, 50, 60 years, that's great. But do you go back and remember the fire that you had inside? Do you remember that you wanted to share the gospel even with the fish at the local pond? I mean, you, you want to share Jesus with everybody. You were preaching. I mean, it's like, remember the fire that you had. And then he says, repent. Someone, someone tell me what repentance is. It's a turn. It's a change of mind with a change of action. So in other words, kill that which is killing you. Did you know that sin really kills? It kills churches, it kills family, it kills lives. Not just eternally, but it kills things here and now. So turn, repent. In the book of Jude, verse 3, he gives us this encouragement. In Jude, verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation, I found it necessary to write exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which is once for all delivered to all the saints. So I want you to write this down. We are to contend without being contentious. We are to contend without being contentious. You're like, what are you talking about? The Bible says we're to stand up for the faith. We're to stand up for what's right. We're to remember where God has brought us from and Look forward to where he's bringing us to, but don't compromise your faith. Don't compromise the truth of God's word. As I like to say at Arden, we, we cling to the truth of God's word. We will never change the word of God. We're under its authority. The Bible changes not. And at the same time, God encourages us to be missionaries of the culture. We may have to speak different languages to reach different people. Whereas the Bible remains the same. The truth of God's word is steadfast and eternal. And number four, how does a dead church wake up, live with a sense of urgency, knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment? This is the need for watchfulness. Look back in your Bible in verse three, at the end of verse three. Jesus says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I came upon you. 
So how many of you have ever had your homes broken into before? All right. A lot. I'm first service. A lot of people raised their hand. Did the robber set an appointment with you before they broke in? Did they give you a courtesy call? Hey, I'm coming 2 a.m. Make sure you're gone. Anybody? Why? Because a thief comes when you least expect him to come. So here's the idea. Why would Jesus compare himself to a thief? That's a weird analogy, right? What that's saying is not the character of a thief, but the unexpected nature of a thief. So here's the idea. There's two applications of this. The first application is the church at Sardis. If you don't get right with God, Jesus is going to visit you with church discipline. And guess what? This church no longer exists today. There's the ruins of a Christian church right next to a temple in Sardis. It's no longer in existence. So guess what? He did come and he visited the church. The second application is all Christians should believe this. This is a fundamental doctrine. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what you hold with eschatology, end of times, your interpretation of the revelation, most Christians should believe that Jesus is coming again. So the idea is you live with a state of anticipation. This is the imminent return of Christ. He's coming back at any moment. So it should change the way I live my life. It should change the way I treat others. So think about that. So how can we live like Jesus is coming back? Look on your listing guide, three applications. The first one is your living. God calls us to live a life of holiness and love. Holiness is like I'm trying to live like Jesus would live were he in my place. And love, because God is love, he wants me to live a life of love. And our serving. What would happen if every day we served Jesus with passion and purpose? If Jesus returned right now, would he find me serving him? Or would he find me being a sitting saint? A sitting saint, just sitting on my blessed assurance, waiting till Jesus comes back. No, he wants to find us busy about the Father's work. And our sharing. The reason why God left you here, there's many reasons, but one major reason, I want you to think about it. If God wanted to, he could have raptured you right the moment you got saved, right? All right, Kevin accepts Christ. He's, he's, he's ready to go. Why did he leave you on earth taking up air, right? Taking up space. Why are you still here for everyone that's born again? One of the reasons is he, he left you here to share about Jesus with others. Because if you took all Christians to heaven, who would share the good news? How can they hear without someone telling them, as Paul tells us in Romans? That's important. The fifth truth about a church that needs to wake up is stay true to God even if you're part of the minority. This is the need for perseverance. In verse 4, it says, You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here's the good news. Even though there are dead churches out there, God usually has a remnant of believers that are still alive. God usually has a remnant of believers that still want to see people get saved and lives change. And you know what? I thank God for those remnants because he leaves people in that church so that they have a chance to revitalize. They have the chance to grow again. As many of you know, I've had the opportunity to plant churches and to revitalize. And people ask me, which is harder, to plant something new or to revitalize something that's dying? What do you guys think? Which is harder? Yeah, to revitalize is much harder. It's easy to give life than to raise the dead, right? So here's the, here's the truth. God wants us to pray for churches that are struggling. There's many churches in our area 
And we want to pray for them. We want to pray that have stories just like Bent Creek where it, it's a new day. And God is working. So there's one thing that kills the church. And it has the letter I in the middle. You might know what it is. It's sin. So here's three things I want to deal with for churches that are dying. The first one is sin and doctrine. What are modern day sins of doctrine? Well, you have false doctrine. You have liberal theology and you have a legalistic theology. Well, what's the difference? We mentioned this a few weeks ago. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And what happens, people don't like tension, so they'll try to relieve the tension on one side. So if you relieve the tension on the side of truth, you get a hellfire brimstone church where like, you feel beat up every time you go to church. Anybody been in a church like that? It's just every week the, the, the pastor is like throwing like flames in the congregation. The other side is you use a meta-narrative of love. Well, God is love. And love is love. And you use all these sayings and it's like, what does that even mean, right? You forget love is holy too. <laughs> Read First Corinthians 13. So, you know, love is love if it's real love. If it's not real love, it's not love. All right? Don't ask me to say that five times fast. But the reality is that if you re- relieve it on the love side and there's no truth, then it's a, anything goes. It's a liberal theology. So at Arden, the challenge is we're going to stay in the middle Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. What that means is we love everybody and because we love them, we have to give them the truth. And because we give them the truth, we say it in love. And this that tension. We don't want to go on the legalistic side. We never want to go on the liberal side. We want to stay in the tension of grace and truth. So that's that's a sin of theology. The other one is sin and lifestyle. We live in a day where so many Christians, you can't tell them apart from the world. They they. They live the lifestyle just like the world. And there's, there's no difference. And Jesus would tell this church to wake up. And then sin and witness. Like we don't share our faith. We're complacent. We're not winning anyone to Christ. I joked with the people in the first service and I said, you know, sometimes people criticize the church at large. And I want to give you a tool that you can give to them. You know, say you're talking to someone at the grocery store like, I, I would not go to the church and church is full of hypocrites. Here's a question you can give them. How many people have you led to Christ in the past five years? Crickets. Did you know the most critical people are the ones that don't share their faith? So there's a little tool. Oh, yes, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, can I ask you a question? How many people have you led to Christ in five years? (laughs) Sometimes the loudest critics come from those who aren't sharing their faith. Ouch. It's true. All right, number six, overcome everything the world throws your way so that you can receive your rewards. I know this message is fiery and it's because it's the church of Sardis. It's a dead church. But Jesus gives us encouragement. Amen. He gives us hope. So what are the rewards he talks about? What are the rewards? First of all, you have assurance of eternal life. And I've seen people use this verse to try to prove you could lose your salvation. Notice the text that says, He who endures shall be clothed in white remnant, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Did you know in the Greek it's actually a double emphatic? I will never, never blot their name out. So here's the idea. It's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise to the overcomer. So let's talk about the book of life. There are different views on the book of life, and I'll give you the three major ones. One view is that God writes your name in the book of life after you get saved. That's one view. Like you accept Christ, your name's written in the book of life, party in heaven. The second view is God looks down the corridors of time, but even before you're born... And he knows those who are going to get saved. And he writes your name in the book because his foreknowledge, he knows those are going to get saved. Okay. The third view is that Jesus died for who? 
for the whole world. So everybody, even before you're, you're born, your name's written in the book. And what happens if you reject Jesus for salvation, your name's erased out of the book because he's the only way to salvation. I lean towards view three because I believe everyone has to go through Jesus to get saved. We reject universalism. Amen. But here's the thing, because Christ died for the world, I believe everyone in the world has a chance to accept Christ. Now, you may disagree with me, and I, I respect my Calvinistic brethren who do, but I believe that God sends people, he sends missionaries. And you're like, what about the person who's never seen a missionary? Well, there's stories of people in other countries that have dreams about Jesus. And they respond to the light they have, and all of a sudden a missionary shows up. Now, people have to receive the gospel to be saved, amen? They have to receive the good news. But who are we to say that God is limited by us or anything? In the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey. He can speak to, through this donkey if he wants. Amen. He's not limited. So everyone has to go through Christ to be saved. But I believe that everyone has a chance to be saved. And you may disagree, and that's okay. One of us is right, one of us is wrong, and we'll figure that when we get to heaven. But here's another question people ask. What about children that die before they have a chance to receive Christ. Have you ever been asked that question? What about the kids, miscarriages and all that? Well, if their names are already written in the book and they've never had a chance to receive Christ, I believe his grace covers them before they have a chance. Now, it's not an age of accountability like a certain age, like 12. It's the moment the Holy Spirit convicts you, you're accountable. Okay. And if you're in the womb, you haven't had a chance to receive Christ yet. So that's good news. Some of you have had babies that have, you know, been miscarried and it's good to have the assurance that they're covered by the blood because Jesus covers them and he takes care of them. So finally, uh, before I forget, there's also acknowledgement before God, the father and the angels. And I want to pause there for a moment. Who am I and who are you that because you know Jesus, they're talking about you in heaven? I mean, think about that. Jesus is like, I'm going to talk to God the Father about you. I'm going to talk to the angels about you. Like, who am I? I'm a nobody, right? And you're like, how can God talk about every believer that's ever lived? You know, potentially billions of people. Think about it. In heaven, there's a lot of time, okay? There's a lot of time. So he's going to have all time to talk about you. That's how much he loves you. I love Max Lucado's quote. He said, if God had a fridge, your picture would be on it in heaven. That's how much he cares for you. And if, if he cares about me that much, I should spend more time with him. All right, finally, and we're going to land the plane with number seven. Listen to what God is whispering in a world that's full of shouting. This is the need for solitude. Look at verse six. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And I love churches is plural. So here's the idea behind it, that this is not just for the church at Sardis. This is for all churches of all time. Listen to what the Spirit's saying. So how do we listen to God in a world that's so fast-paced, in the world where you're so B-U-S-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you're busy, busy, busy. How do you slow down? How do you listen to God's voice, His quiet voice? I'm going to give you five tips. These are just things that you can apply, and these are action steps for today. This is in your listening guide. The first one is to take time away every single day. God wants to spend time with you. He is not only your father and Jesus is not only your savior, but he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He wants to spend time with you. So with that being in mind, talk to God in prayer. Tell him what's on your heart. He already knows. 
Spend time with him. And listen to God in silence. How many extroverts do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're extrovert. You're not shy, you're extrovert. We have a harder time listening if you're an extrovert. You ever notice that? I envy many of you introverts on this because you're okay with quiet. Extroverts, we have to fill the air, right? Some of you are married to one, you're like, yeah. So when, when, when you're praying, remember to be silent, even if it's just for 30 seconds, because, because God talks, we've got to listen. And it's not some audible voice. It's the Holy Spirit giving promptings inside your spirit. And God will speak to you if you'll listen to him. And I've had people challenge that and say, I've never heard God speak. Anybody ever heard anyone say, I've never heard God speak? And your response is another tool you can give to people that push back. Have you ever read the Bible? And if you've ever read the Bible, guess what? You've heard God speak. Because the Bible is God's word. So you can no longer use that as I've never heard God. If you read the Bible, you've heard God speak. And number four, ask God to speak to you through his word. Because that's a primary way as you read the Bible and as you pray, the Holy Spirit will use the word of God to speak to the people of God. And then ask God to confirm things to others. This is what we know as bearing witness. If if God is speaking to you and you're uncertain about is this God? Is this the pizza I had the night before? You know, is this really God? Ask God to confirm it by Christians in the church. So let's have the big idea to summarize this into one sentence. I know we've covered a lot of ground And by the way, those listening guides are for you to take home because we can't go through every nuance, but read this on your own so you can try to internalize the message. God turns graves into gardens when you exchange your dead life for a new life in Christ. So the beautiful thing about the church in Sardis, it had an opportunity to wake up. The good news about us individually, if you're spiritually asleep, remember those videos at the beginning, you may have a rude awakening or... You can ask God to wake you up right now so you don't have to have a rude awakening. Next week, I encourage you to come back. If you're a first-time guest, please come back. We're talking about the church at Philadelphia. It's the open-door church. What open doors does God have in your life? Got to come back next week. We're going to talk about Philadelphia. Let's pray.